Good morning. It is just such a blessing to be with God's people here at Woodland Hills. Uh, the fact that you guys are family to my family means the world to me. I hate that we cannot all be in the same city together. One day we will be, and I look forward to that. Um, until then, I'm so thankful that you've become the children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters of my parents uh, and my family. It just means, it just means the world to me. Uh, so thank you for your love for my family, your love for the Lord. Uh, you guys are a shining light here in Nashville. Your love for the Word, uh, Dad and Mom are always bragging on you guys. They just, uh, they just love how you serve one another, how you love one another, the capability of the men and women here to teach the Word of God, both through song and through uh, public teaching and in your actions, your generosity towards one another, uh, your acts of love. Uh, I appreciate it. They appreciate it. It's a blessing to bring God's Word to you this morning as well. Please turn to Daniel chapter 12. We'll get back to Revelation 5, uh, but turn to Daniel 12, and we'll look at that in a couple of moments. So I want to put before you a few evidences of the turmoil that is going on in our world. I'm sure you could think of other pieces of evidence or other demonstrations of why things are just kind of messed up in our world right now, why things are difficult, but just consider a few pieces of evidence. On August 16th, in the Christian side of town of Jaranwala, Pakistan, uh, there were allegations that a man had torn pages from a Quran, and as a result of that, thousands upon thousands of Muslims descended upon the Christian part of town very angry in a riotous rampage. They destroyed 25 Christian church buildings. They looted the homes of many Christians, threw their possessions out and burned them, and completely destroyed the home of one Christian leader in the area. Now for something different. Uh, it's very hard to know exactly uh, the state of modern slavery uh, today, uh, but uh, the estimates are that there are as many as one million slaves in the United States, up to 50 million in, uh, who are slaves globally. 25% of those in the United States are children. 250,000 slaves right now living in the United States that are children. And why are they slaves? They are uh, slaves because they've been forced into marriage. They are slaves due to sexual exploitation. They are slaves because of forced labor. The slavery situation in our world is only accelerating and getting worse and worse. It has not been getting better, contrary uh, to some popular beliefs. Uh, consider another piece of evidence of the turmoil in our world. As many families recognize, there's something going on with the health of our children uh, today. Uh, roughly one in six children, by the time they are eight, will be diagnosed with some sort of Di uh, uh, developmental disability, and that's not including all the other various health challenges that are facing children today. And as one elderly person reminded me in Phoenix recently, cancer just seems to be increasing, increasing, increasing uh, at skyrocketing rates, and they're not sure exactly why. Uh, speaking with our neighbors in Houston, we're in Phoenix now, but in Houston a few months ago, uh, we were 
having dinner with them, a goodbye dinner with them, and their 17-year-old son told me that yesterday he got word that one of his really good friends at school had overdosed on drugs and, uh, and died. And that's just not an uncommon story these days coming out of our high schools with the drug crisis just wrecking our big cities. Do you just ever feel like the world is totally broken? Like the darkness is only deepening more and more? Do you feel like in these moments, yeah, we've had days of Thanksgiving, but when we snap back to some of this reality as well, do you feel like you can just hear creation groaning in these moments? I think that's the way Daniel felt when he was in exile in Babylon. He had just watched a holy city completely collapse into bloodshed and violence and injustice, defaming God's name. He saw suffering all around him, and now he was in exile in a city that totally dishonored God's name and exalted itself, and all the while getting rich and powerful off of the oppression of many other nations and people within its city. And throughout the book of Daniel, God unveils the truth to Daniel. He unveils the future to him, but what He also unveils to him is reality. You guys have already studied Daniel 7 in your class, and one of the things that you see there is not only the future, but you also see the truth that the kingdoms of men, they're not really human anymore, are they? How are they depicted? As wild, monstrous animalistic beasts that are not even like normal animals like a lamb or a lion or a cow, you know. No, you've just got three-headed, four-headed monsters. Uh, it's, it's awful. They are trampling down the earth. They are dominating people with violence. They are dishonoring God's name. They are crushing the innocent. They are crushing God's people the holy people. That's the way, by the way, that it's still happening in Revelation. Even though Babylon's been destroyed, the spirit of Babylon continues to live on in Revelation. And in Revelation, when the holy city is gutted, you know what is found that she was living on? Babylon was living on the souls of men, slaves, and living on the prophets and on the saints, blood, the blood of innocent, holy, righteous people was found in her. It's the same in Daniel's day and in the day of Revelation and today. And Daniel cries out in chapter 12, verse 6, the middle of verse 6 there, he says, how long? How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? When are you going to do something about this, God? When are you going to stop letting your people suffer so much, when's it going to end? And I want you to hear the response in verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be time, times, and half a time. And notice this. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Daniel hears, but he doesn't understand, and then he's just told to go his way. But I want you to see just how dissatisfying that answer is in verse 7. Like, when is it going to be done? When are our people going to be done suffering? 
And he says, oh, well, let me tell you. Uh, it's when I'm done letting the power of the holy people be shattered. It's kind of like when you're flying from Phoenix to Nashville on a three-hour flight and your kids say, when are we going to be there? And I say, I think sometime around when we get there. Daniel's like, how long are you going to let us be crushed? And God says, precisely around the time when I stop letting you be crushed. That, that's when it will be done. And that question, you know that's not the only time that question is asked in the Scriptures. The psalmists ask that. Uh, people ask that throughout the prophets. And it echoes down all the way to Revelation. In Revelation 6, the, the Christians who have died for the name of Jesus they're under the altar. They may be enjoying heaven from one perspective, but they're not happy with just dying and going to heaven. They're dissatisfied still with the state of things on the earth. How long until you deal out justice? How long until the day, God? And they cry out, how long? And we cry out, how long? Daniel's told the book is shut up. It, it's, it's sealed. Go your way, Daniel. People are going to be righteous. People are going to be wicked. But it's all shut up, it's all sealed for now. And those questions, that question, how long, God, until you do something, it echoes down throughout the centuries until Revelation. And the way I read Revelation 5 is that God is answering that question finally, but He's answering it with another question. And Revelation 5 you can hear all creation groaning, how long, God, until you do something? And God answers that question with another question. He sends out a mighty angel, and the mighty angel holds out his hand, or rather, God holds out his hand, and the, and the mighty angel goes out, and he says, who's worthy to open the scroll and to break, to break its seals and open the scroll? Who, who's worthy? And you get the sense that there's just silence and then maybe the angel continues to ask the question as he goes throughout heaven and he goes throughout the earth and he goes under the earth is anyone worthy to break the seals and open the scroll who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll is anyone worthy is anyone worthy We want to know, hey, God, when are you going to bring, when are you going to bring history forward? When are you going to end the day when, when, when we suffer? When are you going to bring the day of restoration and redemption? When's hope coming? What's your plan, God? And God's like, oh, I've got a plan. Is, is anyone here worthy to take my plan for history forward? Is anyone going to be able to bring things forward and end the suffering in the world. And John, because no one is found, weeps. And I, I want to ask, why does he weep? Why do you think he weeps? I think maybe he weeps because he's desperate. Oh no, like maybe this Jesus I've been proclaiming, maybe he's not really the one. Maybe he just feels hopeless. I wonder if he personalizes that a little bit though. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. I wonder if he weeps 
And I wonder if the angel goes around asking in heaven and on earth and under the earth and waits for an answer and waits to see if someone will come before the throne because someone is supposed to be able. Some, let me be specific, specific here, some human is supposed to be able to. Because after all, you remember, who is it in the very beginning who is made in God's image who is told to rule and have dominion to the ends of the earth, who is given the scepter and the crown to reign with God over all the earth? Humans, male and female. Who is it after sin, who is said to be the ones, the people, who is supposed to crush the head of the snake? The children of the woman, the offspring of of the woman. Well, who is it when, when all people lose their way on earth and they go unrighteously, who is it that is selected out of all people to be a blessing to the ends of the earth in the midst of a dark, chaotic world? Abraham's children. And when, when all of Abraham's children aren't just right, who is it that's specially selected to be God's priests in the world doing justice and righteousness, being a holy nation, a light, showing people a different way, the people of Israel. And yet the holy city, the holy nation, what did they become in Isaiah? Well, notice what they became. Chapter 59 and verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and a brightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. I'd love to spend uh, longer in Isaiah 59, but throughout Isaiah 59, basically the people are crying out, God, like, why aren't you answering our prayers? We're fasting. And God says, well, it, it's not that my arm is too short. It's that your sins have made a separation between us. You guys were supposed to be the people stomping out the spiders and the snakes in the world, but you and your children, you are weaving spider's webs. Your children are like you're the ones who are the snakes in the world. The holy city has become full of bloodshed, full of injustice, full of unrighteousness. You have increased wickedness in the world. You haven't been the priests to, to clean up the world, to bring atonement, to show people a new way, to do righteousness. No, you are the problem, Israel. And God is upset by this in what we've just read. God himself, we're appalled that God is not doing anything. God, why don't you answer our prayers? Why don't you hear our fasting? And God's like, are you kidding me? I'm appalled that none of y'all are standing up to be able to solve the problem. That's who I appointed. Israel, my image, my priest to the nations, you are supposed to be the ones. And so he is displeased and he wonders why there is no man to intercede but God. The end of verse 16, then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. 
And that's exactly what happens in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, go back over there, Revelation chapter 5, the angel cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll, to break its seals? John weeps because no one is found, but then, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so John hears about this lion of the tribe of Judah prophesied all the way from the days of Genesis who would come and conquer and reign and the obedience of the nations would come to this righteous king. But then he turns and he looks as he's told and he doesn't see a lion, does he? He sees a standing lamb that is slain. By the way, this happens all throughout Revelation. You hear about one thing and you see something else and it's not one or the other, but it's both mixed together. There's a tension there. There is a conquering lamb, or sorry, rather a conquering lion and a slain lamb. He then takes the scroll and all heaven, earth, and under the earth erupts in praise. The elders, the living creatures, the angels, and then every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth gives glory to the Lamb. Why? Because He is worthy. He is the one who is able to take the scroll. He can bring creation forward into a new day. He can bring God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. He will bring justice and rescue God's holy people and bring the redemption that they have been hoping for. And so they all cry out, He's worthy of all riches, worthy of all honor, worthy of all power. Give Him everything. We choose Jesus as our King and as our Lord. What does this vision have to say to us today as we consider our suffering world, the suffering church, our suffering families, our messed up cities and world? Well, I think the first thing that we recognize from this text is that we are not worthy. Do you ever have those moments of arrogance when you see the problems, those same problems in the church or in your family or in our schools or in our cities, our country or the world? And you have that moment of arrogance and you just think, man, those same people are behind the same problems. They're making the same decision. The people with power just are never doing the right thing. And you know, you know, If I had a phone line to the president, if you would just listen to me for one moment, it's obvious. All you have to do is this and that. Would you just let me add it for a moment? You you realize what we're saying in those moments? We've all done it. What are we saying in those moments when, when we say that we have the solution to fix our family and the church and our cities and our world beyond repair? You know what we're saying? I could walk up to the throne. Give me the scroll. I'll open the seals. I can, I can how long? How long is this going to go on? I'll open the seals. I'll, I'll finish it. I'll bring justice. I'll bring righteousness. It will all be good. But No. It is all vain thinking, arrogant thinking. We're not thinking clearly in those moments. 
we need to be humbled. John, righteous John, elder, lived a long time, pretty righteous at this point. He does not even attempt to walk before the throne to take the scroll. And neither should we think that we have all the answers. We have some power that God has given us, absolutely, and we should not shirk that, and we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But we are not worthy to bring creation, God's kingdom, forward into a new day on our own. I am incapable. You are incapable. We are all incapable. In fact, we have only added, if we're honest, we've only added to the mess in the world. But, thank God, Jesus is worthy. But why is He worthy? That's what I want to ask with a good chunk of our time right now. Why is Jesus said to be worthy? Well, the first reason He's said to be worthy is because He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seals. Every man and woman and offspring of woman has always failed at some point. Even the really good ones like uh, Noah or Abraham or uh, Jacob wasn't really a good one. He became kind of better later on, but uh, even Moses or Aaron or David or Solomon, they all, they got to this point where they they were so righteous and we look back at them and we say, yes, we want to have faith like them. We want to be loyal like them. But then they all had these moments where it's just cringeworthy. No, you did not conquer sin in that moment. You did not conquer temptation in that moment. You brought glory to yourself or you were actually the oppressor in that situation. David, the one who was supposed to crush the enemies, he became the oppressor. Everyone at some point becomes a problem. And even the kings, the kings were supposed to, and the judges, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to conquer the Philistines and the Perizzites and the Canaanites. But did they, did they ever, were they ever able to conquer all the enemies in the land and bring peace into the land like God prophesied that David's children would bring? No, they did not. And even if they were able to, though they weren't, they were all conquered in the end by death and they decayed in the grave. But Jesus, when He came, He was a walking conqueror. He spoke, and demons, like the forces of Satan, just ran. They fled, screaming in terror. Oh no, not before the time. Has judgment day already come? Sins were forgiven. Diseases were healed. The lame started walking. The blind started seeing. Those who had messed up ways of thinking, all of us, their, their thought patterns and their hearts and their ways of thinking were, were turned and changed by the truth that He spoke. He was wise, loyal, and strong. And when Satan slithered up to tempt Him in the desert and to even bring His greatest trial on the cross, He did not dishonor God or dishonor other people for one moment. You know, Moses had one of those moments where, you people, must I? But not even Jesus. Not in that moment. Shocking turn in the biblical story. He does not cave. 
He conquers. But especially, He conquers death. When He is killed, He takes all of our darkness upon Himself, all of our shame as we sang this morning. And it's like He goes into the belly of the beast and cuts His way out. He tramples down death. The ancient song goes, He tramples down death by death. He's given the keys over death and Hades so that now, not only has He conquered, we will share in His victory, in His conquering. He reigns in heaven, ascended to the throne, and what happens after this, after He takes the scroll? He starts opening the seals, and what happens when He opens the seals? But justice starts coming out on the earth. All the wicked are repaid, and those who are slipping are reminded to get back into order. And then trumpets are blown, and bowls are poured out, and thunders sound. What's Jesus doing? He's conquering the wicked, but not just to slay them completely. There is even a city in Revelation 11 that turns back and gives glory to God in the midst of the judgments, in the midst of the prophesying church. Jesus is worthy because He's overcome the grave and now He reigns in heaven. And sometimes we might just think, well, evil, it just always, it always just peters out. It always just, it always just seems to die. Well, no, it's because God is on the throne and particularly because His Son, Jesus Christ, is on the throne bringing justice to the ends of the earth. Not one of us has the power to clean up the world those crime-filled areas to stop persecution or even to root the sin out of our hearts or to raise the dead. But Jesus has conquered, and He will do it. Every faithful sufferer, every innocent child who has died before their time will be raised from the dead to share in the victory of the Lamb, Lion, Jesus Christ. Every sickness will be banished by Him. Every oppressor will be punished as they deserve, and we will receive a reward and a victory that we do not deserve, because Jesus has conquered. But notice the text. Jesus is not only worthy because He has conquered, but because He was slain. Notice verse 6, or sorry, verse 9. They sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Okay, so Jesus is worthy not only because he conquered, but because even before that, he was slain as a sacrificial lamb for his people. And I want to just kind of my, my temptation is to just kind of be lazy with the text and just kind of move on. All right. Jesus is worthy because he's died for our sins and now we've been forgiven and we can go to heaven when we die. You know, end of, end of text, right? But that's not what the text says. I'm really thankful that we get to be in God's presence in the future because he has cleansed us by his blood. But that's not what John is interested at all in chapter 5. He gets interested in that a little bit later on in chapter 7. But in chapter 5, he's interested in something else. Jesus was slain, and he's ransomed people, comma, and now that means that they are priests to God on the earth. 
You see what Jesus has done? You see why Jesus is worthy? It's not simply because he's cleaned us up and handed us a harp so we can go be in bliss forevermore someday. He is worthy because he has just taken the problem, the wicked cities, people from every nation who have all turned aside, who have all gone their own way, who have all increased wickedness on the earth. He just took the problem and he made them part of the solution. He's cleaning up you and me and making us priests for God to reign on the earth. You know, that's what happens back in the days of Isaiah, or at least what Isaiah prophesies. He sees these broken-hearted people who are slaves and captives and imprisoned. They're a mess for their own sin. They're suffering for their own sin. But then Isaiah 60, 61 and other places, they, they are redeemed by the servant to become servants of God. The servant releases the brokenhearted and heals those who are mourning and those who are slaves and in prison. And suddenly, those people, they go back to the broken down city that was destroyed because of them on their account and they start picking up the bricks. And they start rebuilding the ancient ruins, the fallen city. And then the world starts to know them as the priests of God. Hey, I know who they are. They're the, they're the workers for God. They're the people who are cleaning up the mess in the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need this vision of God that God gives us today. We need revelation to retool our thinking today. I think so often we can look at the hope of the future as we absolutely should, the hope of God's kingdom, and we absolutely should, but then maybe we look at it from our couch, and our couch alone, and listen, there's time for holiday, there's time for rest, absolutely, but it's rest to be able to get back up and work at times until the day when it's not rest to be able to be renewed for more work. It's just the rest that we're all waiting for. But until that day, we do need, we do need some renewal. We do need to get to work. We don't just look at that hope from our couch and say, well, I just can't wait to get out of here. We look at that future kingdom that God is promising and we get to work to putting the stones up, to rebuilding. Listen, we're not going to be able to bring, uh, you know, we pray, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. We're not going to be able to bring that fully. We're waiting for Jesus to bring that, but we work towards that. That's why, that's why God sent people back from Babylon to rebuild a city that would ultimately later be destroyed again and rebuild a temple that would later be destroyed again because we've got to get to work. We've got to keep God's work afresh for his kingdom, for his glory, for his honor in each new generation. And so we need to be proclaiming the gospel so people can see the truth. We need to be loving on one another so people experience that truth and experience that love and that power of God. We need to see people who are broken with compassion and try to bring whatever healing help we can, especially praying for them, because that's what priests do. Peace, priests, most importantly, they 
don't stand as a barrier between God and people, but they stand as educators between God and people. Here's the sort of sacrifices you can bring for him. We're here, you are troubling here today. Let me pray for you on your behalf before God's throne. We stand between God and the hurting world and we bring God's healing, whatever little bit of healing we can bring. Notice then that Jesus is not worthy simply because he's a sacrificial lamb, nor because he's a conquering lion, but because he is both. And I think sometimes we can get that out of order at times. Don't we sometimes uh, see or become those people who just want Jesus to be the lion? Ah, just kill them all, all the wicked. No patience, time's up. Or we just want Jesus to be the lamb everlasting patience and forgiveness, never running out. No, Jesus is the lamb and the lion. It is by means of his sacrificial death and his conquering lion-like resurrection that he rules from heaven, the wisdom of the tension of them, of them both. So what should we do because of all that? Well, we should give Jesus all power, wealth, and honor. That's what all the angels and the elders, and every creature in heaven and earth and under in the sea, and all that's in them says in verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Can you hear that? Them chanting, saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. They want to give him everything. They want him to be in charge of everything. He is the highest. He is the best. He's the solution to all our problems. You hear that? Do you know what that sounds like to me? Do you know where the modern parallels to that are today outside of, thank God, this assembly right here and other assemblies happening all over the world? Do you know where else that happens not on Sunday. Well, actually, it happens on Sundays, too. <laughs> you know where else that happens? It happens in places where tens of thousands of people gather together, uh, sometimes to give their entire Saturday, their entire Sunday, and Monday night, and Thursday night, and Friday night to a sport. Worthy! 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 To, take up, to suck up all our energy, all of it. But you know where I think it happens very dangerously as well and where it will happen over the course of this next year is at political rallies. I've been to a political rally before, roughly 10,000 people, and when I see this scene, everybody, everybody, everywhere chanting, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. You know what I hear? It's echoing in my mind. Worthy is George Bush. Worthy is George Bush at that political rally I went to. Worthy is, and every four years, worthy is the next one. Worthy, worthy, worthy. That, that, that's, that's our modern worship service. We don't bow, but we give everything else. We give all, all honor, all glory, all might, all of our energy, all of our time, all of our hope. I think in this room, probably we're already disillusioned with them, thank God. <laughs> But this is exactly what happens in Revelation. People see the problems in the world, and then they see a mighty beast 
who went out in battle for them and was wounded in battle, but then somehow ended up living. And so they give him all this glory, all this might, all this honor and power. Look at the beast. He nearly died for us. Look at him. And they worship him, and they give him sacrifices. They give him their loyalty, their allegiance that is undying. And he deceives them with false promises and false power that do not bring redemption to the world, but only more problems. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be a lot of people making a lot of promises and a lot of organizations making a lot of promises over the next, this next year to win your vote, to win your hope, to win your allegiance. Hold out for Jesus Christ. He is the one who will bring God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. He is the one who will cause God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. And that's what we want. Not the will of Scott or of anybody else, no matter how wise they might seem to be in comparison to others, we're all like little ants down here in comparison, doing what we ought to do, hopefully, serving the Lord and being priests and, and rebuilding but under his authority, with his vision, with his power. Jesus is the sacrificial, conquering, lamb, lion, king who is our hope. And we need to entrust him with the hope of our nation, the redemption of our hearts, the transformation of our cities, if any of that is at all possible to even small amounts, or of our families. We need to give Him our wealth, our honor, our power, our energy. Before our kids, in our homes, who are we giving that honor to, that energy to, that time to? Hopefully, it is to the only one who has the power to heal us all. Entrust Him and His ways to heal what is broken out there, and one day He will come from heaven and make all things new and make all things clear. All those things that we couldn't see before, we wondered, how long? Why have you waited so long? It will suddenly become clear, and the waiting will have been worth it because He is worthy. He's proven it. The tomb is still empty. He still holds the keys. Death is has been trampled down by his death and by his resurrection. If you need to be reminded to put renewed hope in Jesus Christ, renewed loyalty to him and him alone, then we urge you to make that known today. You can start your walk with Jesus Christ by being baptized into his blood, giving your loyalty and allegiance to him. You can come out of the grave, out of the water, a new man, a new woman, or you can turn back to him. Whatever your needs are, come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.